0: Last week, I uh, dealt with the subject, uh, Why Do the Righteous Suffer? And I want to deal with something today that, uh, for me, there's no question. I'm sure for you here, there is no question. But I'll start with this. I can't tell you how many times I have run into people at work, or even young Christians that will come out and they will say, well, how do you know the Bible's true? You teach, you preach, you believe it, but how can so many people write the Bible and not knowing each other and whatever and saying the Bible is true? And it's funny because... Some of the people that disclaim the scriptures and say that it's outdated, it's it's not, you know, technology has made the Bible irrelevant today, and they come out with all these different things about the scriptures, and almost every single one of them has never picked up the Bible and studied it, or read it even. But you, uh, some of you have possibly ran into people that have said to you, how do you know the Bible is true? What did you answer them? Did you say, well, I know it's true. I believe by faith. And for them, an answer like that doesn't really help them. Like I said at the beginning, there is no way that anyone can convince me otherwise. And anyone that has devoted any time in studying the Bible... And I'm not talking about a casual reading of the Bible. I'm talking about studying the Bible. It's totally, as far as I can see, impossible for different men to write all these different books of the Bible and to have them all fit together perfectly. Now, how many know, and you probably have heard this term, what the canon of Scripture is? You pick up this Bible, what's called the canon of Scripture. The word canon means rod or measuring stick. And years ago, what they would do, how did they incorporate the different books of the Bible into the Bible? What they did was they took the teachings of Jesus and they set them there and they would take these different books and examine them closely, everything that was in them, and they would hold that up to the teachings of Jesus to see if they fit or if they were contradicting uh, what Jesus would say or was saying. Now, do you know what the Apocryphal books are? Anybody? Apocryphy. Anybody know what that, what that is? The the They're the ones in the Catholic Bible. Uh, for example, we have Ecclesiastes. The Catholic Bible has Ecclesiasticus. It's a different book. Um, They have Maccabees, they have, now Maccabees historically is okay, but as far as it being a part of the canon of scripture, not everything in there agrees with the teaching of Jesus. So that's how they would do it. And a lot of these books were set aside, and actually the Catholic Church took them and incorporated them into their canon of scripture called the Douay Bible, But the King James Bible does not have that as a part of it. So, the canon of Scripture, or as I said, the word canon means measuring rod or uh, measuring stick, they would take these writings and they would examine them and put them up close to the Scriptures, to the teachings of Jesus, and say, okay, now, are these things in agreement with the teachings of Jesus? or are they in disagreement, or are a lot of them in agreement? And a few things aren't in agreement. So any, any of them that were not in total agreement with what Jesus taught in, in his life and so on were not incorporated into the Bible. But still that brings us to the question that I've heard many times. I, when I was working, uh, an individual even said that to me um, some time back, about the Bible. You know, Christians believe the Bible, and, you know, they base everything that they do on the Bible, but how do you know it's a reliable book? Because, you know, things change year to year to year in, in societies, you know, as a whole and with people. So how can you say that the Bible's true? So I, I picked three areas, basically, to show you and I like as I said before we know these things we're not in doubt of the Bible but you might run across someone especially uh, in your day-to-day movements about that says to you that you know how do you know the Bible is true or even a young Christian who you tell them you you uh, lead them to Christ and you say okay start reading the Bible start with a New Testament and because of the things that have been implanted in their mind and their thinking by the world, or some college professor who says this, that, and the other thing, that's planted there, and that doubt about the scriptures is planted there in their mind, and they have a difficult time, and they're reading sometimes skeptically as far as certain scriptures and certain things. Now, the Lord can break through that, of course, we know that. But still, they may ask you, just let me know, why why do you think the Bible's true? Well, I would start off with this. Fulfilled biblical prophecy. Anybody, and I'm not talking about end time prophecy, the things that have not come to pass. Things that have come to pass over the years that you can actually go in the Bible and you can read them. And I have some examples I'll, I'll give to you. You can read the prophecy, and then you can see elsewhere in the Bible that prophecy fulfilled. Or you can go to historical records and see the, the, the prophecy fulfilled. Now, we'll look at a couple. Uh, let's begin in Ezekiel 26. Now, I'm studying the book of Daniel. I've never, never looked into the book of Daniel. And, uh, of course, I'm not going to deal with the book of Daniel st- strictly on a prophecy basis, of course, but uh, there are some things in there that I'm looking at that are very interesting as far as biblical prophecy. For example, Daniel predicted that Christ would come 483 years after the Medo-Persian Empire would would allow the Jews to go back to uh, Palestine or back to Jerusalem and begin to, to build. So from the time what was his king's name? Darius, I think it was. When Darius allowed, I think it was um, Nehemiah, to go back to Jerusalem to start to build the wall, from that point on, they count off 483 years, and it falls on, this is what they say, I mean, I I could not do that, but this is what they say. They say that, that that fell on the day when Jesus made his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey, 483 years. Just what Daniel had said that the coming of the Messiah would be. So that's something you can see in the scriptures in Daniel, and you can go to Matthew and tie that together and say, okay, now that was said by Daniel, and maybe... Fifty years later, people say, well, you know, Daniel wasn't really a prophet of God because that thing never came to pass. Well, it didn't come to pass in their day, but eventually we have the advantage. That we, we see a lot more of history than someone in their day. And it came to pass just as the Lord said it would. Now, in Ezekiel, when I was teaching Ezekiel class, one of the chapters, actually it was two chapters, dealt with the city of Tyre, and the Lord had Ezekiel prophesy against the king of Tyre, and then he had, had him prophesy against the city of Tyre, saying that the city of Tyre would be destroyed. Now, the city of Tyre was a coastal city that was very, very popular. It was a city of commerce. There were ships coming in and out of there, taking their, their, their products and commerce all over the known world at the time. So it was a, it was a very uh, popular city and you know, a lot going on there. So you had the coastal city, and then part of that was, of Tyre, was an island off the shore. And what would happen was if they were threatened by some force to conquer them, The people would go out to the island, and this would be like a sanctuary for them, and they could defend the island, and and they had, I guess, supplies and whatever there. So along comes, it it was a fortified place as far as its location. So along comes Ezekiel, and the Lord says, Listen, I want you to prophesy against this city and tell them that I am going to destroy this city. Now, this didn't take place immediately, but not too long afterward, Nebuchadnezzar came and he defeated the coastal city of, of Tyre. But the problem was that Nebuchadnezzar did not have a fleet of ships, so he couldn't get to the people out on the island. So he left off and, of course, the city, the complete city didn't fall. And, of course, you could have someone who would say, you know, Ezekiel said this and this, but see, it still never fell. But I think it was, let me see, what was it, 240 years later, Alexander the Great comes along, and he comes to the, the city of Tyre, the island, and he's going to conquer it. And so he goes up to the, the mountains, he has his men go up to the mountains, and they, they cut down cedars of Lebanon, and they bring them, and they pound them into the sea floor, and they used the rubble of Tyre, and they haul it out, and they build this causeway all the way out to the island, and he completely destroys the island. And uh, you can actually go on Google, and you can Google the city of Tyre, and uh, that's in Lebanon today, it's where Lebanon is, and you can actually see an aerial shot of the island. You can It's very clear, you can see that it's a flat island, there's no homes, nothing on it, And you can see part of a causeway going out there. And when I looked at that, I said, that is how you know for sure the Bible is true. Because God prophesied, let's look at Ezekiel 26. This is what Ezekiel's telling, uh, speaking for the Lord, verse 3. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come against you, As the sea causes its waves to come up, and they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken, says the Lord God, it shall become plunder for the nations. And then over in verse 14. I will make you like the top of a rock. Now, I believe this is referring to the island because the island looks like just a rock. There's no no homes. The other part, the coastal city, is rebuilt. There's homes in it. But Tyre itself, the, the island, from what I could see, is still just like a solid rock. I will make, make you like the top of a rock, and shall be a place for spreading nets, and you shall never be rebuilt. For I, the Lord, have spoken, says the Lord God. When the Lord says something is going to come to pass, be it in my life, your life, personally, you know, we know that that's true. In the Bible, there are many, many examples of the Lord prophesying through a prophet, saying different things. And the fulfillment of that sometimes is relatively quick, like we'll see in a minute. Other times it may take some years and then other other prophecies extend for thousands of years. So fulfilled prophecy is something that you can basically hang your hat on as far as the Bible being true, because these people who prophesied these things kind of stuck their neck out, if you know what I'm saying. You know, you say, well, thus says the Lord, and you, you wonder, well, you better know what you're saying, and you, you better know it's from the Lord. The, the false prophets in Ezekiel, they prophesy, they said, thus says the Lord, uh, Babylon is not going to defeat you, uh, you are going to tread on Babylon, and people say, yeah, yeah, that's right, we're the people of God, Babylon's not going to defeat us. And then here comes Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and they said, you will serve Babylon, You will wear the yoke of Babylon. And they they tell the people that, and they reject their words because it's not something they want to hear. But yet, they heard from the Lord, and exactly what the Lord had said through the prophet came to pass. Uh, One of the things in Jeremiah, we're not going to turn there. Jeremiah 25, well, let's, let's turn there anyway. Take a minute. Jeremiah 25, because this is, Something that's very significant that the Lord says here related to Judah. Now, Judah was the two; it was it was composed of two tribes: the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin. They were called called the Southern Kingdom. They occupied the area near Jerusalem, that area. Uh, they were the ones that were. Uh, still around whenever, um, they, they outlasted the northern King, kingdom some hundred years. But they, they were the ones God was dealing with dealing when he was sending Ezekiel and Jeremiah and, and even Daniel. Uh, and so with them, he says something very significant whenever Babylon is going to come in and they're going to take them captive in uh Jeremiah 25, verse 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So he's saying that, okay, the Babylonians are going to come in, they're going to take you captive. You're going to serve them for 70 years. He doesn't say you're going to be there for a while, he, he specifically says 70 years. Verse 12, then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make, a, uh, will make it a perpetual desolation. Now he's talking about Babylon. Make it a desolation. So exactly what the Lord said would happen, came to pass, the Babylonians come in, they took them captive. And they, they weren't planning on keeping them captive for 70 years only. They were planning on keeping them captive, period. They weren't letting them go back to their land. But what happened was uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson actually was very evil. And when when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, they took from the temple all the articles uh, from the temple... And they, he stored them. Well, his grandson decided they were going to have a swinging party. And he sends for the articles of the temple. And they were brought, the gold gold articles. And they they used them to party. And they poured their wine in the cups and, and all that. And and that night, Daniel says that the Lord is going to send an army. He's going to divide uh, destroy Babylon. It's going to be divided between the Medo-Persians. Persian Empire, and uh, that was uh, King Belshazzar, and that very evening, the Medo-Persian Empire, the the kings came in through the gate, no resistance, by the way, they came in and defeated Babylon, and that 70 years, that was at the 70-year point, and that's when uh, one of the the kings of um, the Medo-Persian Empire... Uh, saw Daniel, and Daniel find, um, yeah, Daniel did, but uh, eventually let um, Nehemiah go back and start to, to rebuild. So once again, even with, with that, where, where the prophecy was right there, Daniel says, you know, that your, your empire will end tonight, and that's exactly what happened. That evening, it was gone. Strong, as strong as Babylon was, probably one of the strongest nations uh, as far as an empire throughout history, the Lord sends a prophet, and he says this is going to end, it's going to end today, and it happens. They didn't just decide, well, okay, it's 70 years, we're going to fall into prophecy. No, you know, prophecy dictated it, and that's what happened. Now, another interesting thing is we just read this verse where it says that that Babylon would be a perpetual desolation, which which means that it would never be rebuilt again, which brings us to modern times. Now, we all know who Saddam Hussein is. Saddam Hussein came to power over in, in Iraq, I think it was around 1979. When he came to power, and I want to get this right, so I'll read this. He he conceived this grandiose scheme to rebuild the ancient city of Babylon. And he wanted to um, rebuild the great palaces and the legendary hanging gardens of Babylon, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Saddam Hussein, when he took power, that was one of his goals. He wanted to rebuild the city of Babylon now. You cannot, from our perspective, you cannot set your heart to overthrow the word of God. It doesn't work. Of course, their God was a different God. Their belief is a different belief. But yet, he decided he was going to go ahead and overthrow, or excuse me, he was going going to go, go ahead and rebuild the city of Babylon, and the hanging gardens, and all that. And in 1985, he actually built uh, a, a big, huge building, a palace, right where ancient Babylon was. And you can actually go online and, and, and see it. And it, it was up on like a hill, and it was this big, huge... Beautiful palace. Some it covers some five football fields in, in length and width, and it was it had all kind of you know ornateness inside. You know as far as the different uh, gardens and things that they had in there, and to to make a long story short, you remember the Gulf War in 1991, when uh, the United States went in, and uh, you can actually see pictures of. The soldiers there in that palace, that palace, not, not by the Americans, but by the, the people, was looted, the windows were destroyed, the place was, was gutted, basically. And I, I, I looked at that, and I'm thinking, you know, that's typical, because, see, you can't get around God's word. When someone prophesies it's going to happen like we're seeing here in in Jeremiah, no matter what man does, all the efforts of man against the word of God will not succeed. And in our modern time, we see just in that, that Babylon will never be rebuilt, just like Jeremiah predicted many, 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 many years ago. And even though you had a dictator who had all the power... And, and, you know, that country at the time had tremendous resources, money, because of the oil, and there seemed to be nothing that could stop them from taking Babylon and rebuilding it. But the Lord looks down and says, I'm going to stop it, and he did. So I thought that was pretty significant. But let's get back to some of the other biblical prophecies, and I have heard someone who said that, well, you know, Jesus was a student of the scriptures, and he knew the different prophecies, and when he went and he got a donkey and he rode into Jerusalem, that he knew what the prophecy was, and he went about to fulfill that prophecy himself. And you know how the carnal mind is, the worldly mind, they're looking for any way to discredit the Bible, or to discredit God, or to discredit a Christian. And they they look for that, and they feed upon that. And so, you know, a person may, in their mind, say, well, yeah, that's what Jesus did. But what about this? The Bible says that he would be born of a virgin. The Bible says that he would be born in Bethlehem. You don't have any control of where you're born, as we all know. But yet, the Scripture said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. The Scripture said that there would be a messenger that would come before to prepare the way of the Lord when he comes. And we know that was John the Baptist. So it wasn't that Jesus went about to do this himself. Uh, He was the the fulfillment of of all. Uh, He would come from the tribe of Judah. He would be a descendant of David. And it goes on and on. He would be a Messiah who would be rejected. He would be betrayed by his friend, that was Judas. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, he would uh, be beaten, spit upon, and his beard would be plucked, uh, plucked up. All those things took place. Uh, he would be, how does it say it? Um, he would be numbered with the transgressors. Uh, and, and that's meaning, and we see the fulfillment of that, when Jesus died on the cross with two criminals. He would be numbered with the transgressors. So he had no control over that. He could not go ahead and fulfill these prophecies himself. But yet, you can go in the Old Testament and look one after the other after the other and see the, the fulfillment of... Of them. Now, there is one more thing I want to just look at. Now, the Assyrian army, and I don't know how much you know of, of uh, the different uh, nations as far as the history of, of the Jewish people, uh, the history of what what went on. Uh, we know we've heard of Jonah and Nineveh. There, the Assyrian army defeated, well, let's back up here. After the death of Solomon, Solomon taxed the people very heavily because he wanted to build the temple. After the death of Solomon, his son Rehoboam comes to power, and he asked the older advisors that were, you know, with Solomon, he said, what should I do to have the people, you you know, follow me and what have you? And they said... If if you are kind to the people, and you know, I guess if you don't overtax them, they'll follow you and they'll love you all, all their lives. So then he turns to the younger advisors and said, What should I, what do you think I should do? And they said, Solomon taxed them, tax them worse, tax them ten times worse than him. Keep them, you know, under your thumb. So he listens to the young advisors, and when he does this, there's a split in the kingdom. Ten tribes in the north, it's called the northern kingdom, split off, and they, they had another king named Jeroboam. And then you had Rehoboam, now only has the tribe of Benjamin and uh, Judah, a lower southern tribe. Uh, southern kingdom was two tribes. The northern kingdom, every single king they had was evil, all of them, all of them. They had 20-some kings. There wasn't one godly king of the whole bunch. Not one. So after so many years, the Lord says, I'm going to judge you. And what he does is he brings the Assyrian army in and defeats them. So they're out of the picture. So the, the southern kingdoms, the only kingdom that's left. It's Judah and Benjamin. It's called Judah. And he, a he, hundred some years later, brings the Babylonians in. To judge them. But anyway, the the ten northern tribes, he brings the Assyrian army and he carries the people away into the Assyrian uh, Empire. If you have ever studied the book of Nahum, Nahum deals with the prophecies of Nineveh and the downfall of Nineveh. Now we don't have time, but these people, the Assyrians, were barbaric. They would come in and defeat people and they would take them, they would behead them, they would cut off their hands, they would put stakes in the ground and impale people, they would rape the women, they would do all kinds of torturous things to to the, the population. The Assyrians were barbaric people. That's probably why Jonah had the attitude that he had toward the Assyrians because he had firsthand evidence of some of the, the barbarism that they they you know things that they did. And so he had this attitude, especially when God is going to send him to tell them to repent. And, and by the way, that repentance was only a small space in time as far as the 100 the, the, uh, and some years, 170 years, whatever it was, that the Assyrian Empire was there. So there's only one small ray of light in that whole thing there. But anyway, in the book of Nahum, he prophesied, I don't even have it in here. He prophesied that an army would come and defeat them. He prophesied that they would be permanently destroyed. And then he also prophesied that on the night of their destruction, that they would all be drunk. Now, that's pretty strong stuff. You're going to be all drunk, and that's exactly what happened. So once again, when the Lord says it's going to happen, you can, so to speak, you know, hang your hat on, you know it's there. Biblical prophecy is a mainstay in the Bible. Now, I don't spend time dealing with prophecy, uh, especially end-time prophecy, because there's, there's a lot of this stuff to me is questionable, uh, and I don't have the insight into certain things. But as far as fulfilled prophecy that you can read throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, that, that should... Be an encouragement to every Christian, and that should testify that the Bible. That's how we. One of the reasons we know the Bible is true. Now, the second way, and we'll just kind of go through this real quick, is the historical accuracy of the Bible. None of us here have dealt with any of this, and for me, I I I read some things about it. It's not something that I would spend my time you know, looking into or teaching. But nevertheless, archaeology has proven the flood. Archaeology has proven that the Israelites came into the promised land and uh, destroyed uh, Jericho. And many of the kings of of the Bible that that we read about, they have excavated certain areas over there in Palestine and, and actually found that the records of, of the Bible, that, that what we're reading here, is totally accurate. The archaeology, of course, fits in with uh, the records. So historical uh, accuracy of the Bible for places, even in, in Palestine, and, and even the customs, some of the customs that we read about. Uh, I don't know, for example, Ruth, You talk about they're talking about certain customs. But they, uh, through archaeology, they have found that a lot of the custom, customary things that we read in the Bible are also accurate. And here's, here's an interesting thing, which I didn't know. In 1968, it was the first physical evidence that um, crucifixion in the Roman Empire was a form of pu- punishment when uh, archaeologists discovered heel bones still transfixed by an iron nail and that was for them, that was a discovery. They could have read the Bible and found that, but that was for them some tangible discovery that crucifixion actually was a means of punishment at that time. So We don't need that for our faith, you know. But some people question certain things, and some people, you know, they will do all this investigative work just to see if what's, you know, there is right. And, uh, you know, everybody's different. And when they go to the, the historical account of things, they find out that it lines up with the Bible. The third thing was the scientific accuracy. Now, I just found some interesting things. I want to just read them real quick. Let's go to Isaiah. In closing, we'll, we'll go to Isaiah, Job, and Psalms. Isaiah 40 and it, this is in two parts here. The first part says, uh, verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. So, you know, years ago, they believed that the world was flat. You know that. And that if they would sail out so far, they'd fall off the earth. All they needed to do was read Isaiah. Actually, even Christians at the time believed that, too. Uh, all they would have to do is read Isaiah 40, uh, verse 22, where it says, And he, meaning the Lord, who sits above the circle of the earth, and that pr- proves that the earth was round. He sits above the circle. The circle is round. Then it goes on, he says, Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. And this is interesting. It says that the Lord stretches out the The heavens stretches them out. Scientists are beginning to understand that the universe is expanding or stretching out. This is their great discovery, you see. Okay? Um, And and I don't have it in here, but the... Maybe I do. Oh, yeah, I do. We'll look at that in a minute. But anyway... The Bible has all these things that science now tries to disprove the Bible, and they find out that some of the things that they investigate doesn't really disprove it. It actually shows its accuracy. Now, of course, some of these people don't, don't see the scriptures and, and even know some of the things that are in there. But anyway, um, this is interesting. Science expresses the universe in five terms. Go to Genesis 1 first. Okay, science expresses the universe in five terms. Time, space, matter, power, and motion. Those five things. And I'm going to show you in a verse and a half, God has all, this is a modern, modern thinking you see. They study the universe, and this is what they see. Rather than going to the Bible by faith and reading the Bible, and you'll see the same identical thing. Now, go to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, there's the time. Time. It's talking about how they express the universe in five ways. Time. In the beginning, there's your time. God created... There's the power, the heavens and the earth. There's space, heavens, and the earth. That's matter. And the Spirit, next verse, and the Spirit of God moved. There's your motion upon the face of the waters. All that was written over 3,000 years ago. And rather than going through all this experimentation and all this thinking and all that, they could have went to Genesis 1-1, and discovered what they discovered now, in a verse and a half. To show you that the science testifies that the Bible is correct. Another one, this is in Job 22, you don't have to turn here, uh, 28-25. Now we take for granted today that we know that air has weight. It's been scientifically proven some 300 years ago that air has weight. Before, they didn't think that air had weight. In Job, it says this, speaking of the Lord, to establish a weight for the wind and apportion the water by measure. So it's talking about the Lord establishing a weight, the weight of the wind. That science later on proved that the wind or air had weight. The Bible said it years ago, thousands and thousands of years ago. So, science is, we think science and technology is on the cutting edge. You know, they're, they're, they're the very, very tip of, of everything that's going on. But according to what I see in the Bible, they're thousands of years behind what the Bible already says. It's just that they've never discovered it here, they, they want to discover it out here. And another thing that we know the Earth orbits the Sun, right? In closing, is the Sun stationary? new science buffs? It isn't <laughs> we think the Sun is stationary, don't we? This is what Psalms uh, 19:6 says "The Sun rises uh, at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. So that's not some poetic thing that the Psalmist wrote. They found out now, today, in our time, just recently, not so many years ago, that the sun is moving also. The moon revolves around the earth. The earth revolves around the sun. And the sun, even though when you look up in the sky, it looks like it's stationary. The sun is moving, just like the Bible says. I'll read that again. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other. They said that the discovery of the sun moving uh, is a fact that it moves through space. And this is incredible. It moves 600,000 miles per hour revolving around the Milky Way. so, So the sun isn't stationary, by the way, in case you didn't know. And it travels through the heavens, and it has its circuit or its course, just like the Bible said so science once again all these great discoveries that they think that they're seeing now you can go back and see that it agrees with the scriptures nothing in the Bible is just thrown there for any reason the Lord has it there for many different reasons to reach many different people who think differently and the Bible, as far as prophecy, is 100% accurate. Not 95, not 98, it's 100%. As far as the historical accuracy, it's, it's accurate. And as far as scientifically, it's accurate. Just those three, and there are others, just those three areas will, will be able to say to someone, that's how I know the Bible is true. Fulfilled prophecy is the number one, as far as I can see. So next time somebody says to you, and they might not say it, some people will say it in a critical way, uh, you know, in, in a mocking way related to the Bible, and that's something different. Those people, you, know, you don't even need to even answer them. But for someone who truly has a, a heart, they want to know if it's true and how you know it's true, you can answer them by one thing. Because of the prophecy and the fulfillment of those prophecies in the Bible testifies that the Bible is true and not false. Just that one thing is enough. You don't need the history and you don't need science to back up the Bible. Prophecy of the Bible speaks for itself. And it's sure and it's 100% accurate, and, and we can, you know, take that, so to speak, to the bank. That's the way it is. It's, it's, it's a sure thing. Okay? Any any questions? Now, this was a little different lesson. I don't normally deal with things like this, but I felt it might be something that maybe keep that in you never know, in the near future, somebody might come to you and ask you this. Or somebody, uh, you might hear someone say, yeah, but how do you know the Bible is true? And you can tell them. Fulfilled biblical prophecy. Many, many, not just one. They, I, I don't know how many. They say over 300. There's over 300 passages in the Bible of fulfilled prophecy, fulfilled exactly as it was said. So that's quite a few. I mean, even if it were just 10 or 12, they make a big deal about this Nostradamus who predicted a couple things. You can go to the Bible and you can see hundreds accurately predicted and fulfilled. Hundreds. You don't need to go to someone in the world. Okay.